Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I like that idea of taking a breath, you know, sort of, so these breathing spaces make a space to breathe and review. Where do we go from here? Up would be my one-liner. <laughs> Hello, I'm Stephanie Parry. I'm an executive coach and organization consultant based in Paris. Welcome to Where Do We Go From Here? My podcast in which I talk with different leaders about their learning from the current crisis and how they believe organizations can move forward. I strongly believe that there's no going back to normal and so I'm committed to helping leaders and organizations learn and move forward. Joining me in each podcast, will be a different guest, bringing a particular point of view and expertise. And together in conversation, we'll explore this question, where do we go from here? Of course, we won't have all the answers, but I think you'll find the conversations interesting and hopefully there'll be some food for thought as you think about your own organisation and your own role as a leader and your own behaviour as a leader. Welcome to my podcast and welcome to Dr. Mandy Feely. Thank you for having me here. I'm Mandy Feely and I've just completed a PhD in preparation for trauma. I've worked previously as an organizational psychologist and see myself as a, a specialist in dealing with collective trauma within organizations and working with leaders within that. That's a great start, Mandy. Thank you. And I'm very proud to have you on the podcast so recently to you completing your PhD and that your work is, is hot off the press and is just perfect for our times. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. You have lived the experience of a crisis, a big crisis in Christchurch in 2010, 2012, with both of those huge earthquakes. I know they happened just before the, um, the big one in Japan, and people tend to forget them. So it'd be good just to sort of set the scene. There was a sequence of earthquakes, five major ones in all that I experienced, which begin with the 7.1 magnitude earthquake in the early hours of the morning on the 4th of September in 2010 with aftershocks continuing throughout 2010 into 2011. Then on the 22nd of February at midday, the devastating 6.2 magnitude earthquake happened, which resulted in the deaths of 185 people and horrific injuries of many more. See, the difference was one was at four o'clock in the morning, the other in the middle of the day. There were over 11 billion New Zealand dollars of damage to homes, businesses, infrastructure. It's such a sort of shocking reminder. I don't think I've heard anybody really talk about the economic impact of that as well. So I think there are so many parallels between what we're going through now. But what was that experience like for you? Um, this is quite difficult to capture in just a few words. I'm aware that still my heart races and my mouth goes dry, but it, it's less so over time. But yeah, I still have a reaction to it. In one sentence, it was terrifying. 
I was unable to get out of my car as it started to sink in liquefaction, which looks like sand and water, a technical term for it. I was unable to contact my children, my husband, my family, my friends. I was unable to think straight. I couldn't remember how to get home because the bridge was down. And afterwards, what really sticks in my mind is I took a route that was familiar to me, but not the usual way. And no street lights, trying to get home So and tired. It was midnight. The river, I didn't know, had overflowed. Water was coming from somewhere. And as I was driving along, my little V-dub got submerged up to the windscreen. Wow. In water. And I remember my husband was with me at the time. Just I, I was looking straight ahead with the water coming up. And I just very calmly, didn't feel calm on the inside, but on the outside, I said to him, I'm terrified. And he said, yeah, so am I. But, you know, what can we do? So we just kept going. And luckily, we came out the other side. That's sort of what comes to mind when you ask the question. Thank you, Mandy. And thank you for for answering so honestly what seems like such an innocent question and yet is a stirring up question. And what really strikes me there is is that naming the fear that you had. I think although it's a completely different crisis to what we're going through now, I think for a lot of people there is fear. I know I felt frightened at the beginning of the pandemic and there is a, an anxiety sometimes a fear so you, you know you're somebody who's lived through a completely different crisis and has something to say about this crisis as well so I know that in your work as a psychologist you worked with the New Zealand Earthquake Commission and the geotechnical engineers so what did you do? I'd been living and working as an organisational psychologist in New Zealand for over 20 years And for over 10 of those years, I'd actually been living in Christchurch. And I was working as a consultant with the geotechnical engineers that were associated uh, with the Earthquake Commission. So they were on call. And in 2006, I was invited to specifically research and design interventions to psychologically prepare employees of these, these organizations for natural disasters. Little did we know this earlier work would serve as a preparation for the earthquakes that happened. So this work became the foundation to inducting over a thousand staff post the 2011 earthquake. These interventions were all supported by one-to-one counselling and coaching, both for the uh, individual leaders and their employees. And interestingly, I was funded to do this for anyone that approached me by the organisation I was being paid for, which is amazing. So it was both inside and out, this organisation. Because it was such a fluid situation, you were coming into lots of different people and functions that they had. However, as you might imagine, the workload was intense and the experience that I had was too. Both the depth and breadth of people's needs were quite extraordinary at times. So I burnt out after two years and became determined to understand with greater depth how survivors could be helped and how people and organisations could be better prepared ahead of an extraordinary event. So I decided to self-fund a PhD, having moved to Italy, to explore psychological preparation. And I went that route because I felt there was a lot of stuff that was happening at the time for me and others that was unconscious, that I didn't, you know, and I, I thought we could look at ways of accessing. Such a rich experience that you had that I know then that you have brought into your your PhD and your research. Throughout these podcasts, I'm really keen to talk with people where there are pockets of knowledge already that we can draw upon to help us in our lives in organisations. I I know that there's a lot of insight that you have 
So I'm going to ask you now that question that is almost insulting to ask, but every researcher must, must dread. Can you summarise your work in, you know, like a couple of sentences? <laughs> I'm laughing as I say it, you know, but can you give an overview of it for, for people who are listening? Okay, I'll have a go. So my research is entitled The Good Enough Survivor, Research on Psychological Preparation for Collective Trauma. We don't have to be perfect. It's okay to make mistakes and be good enough and not always in search of excellence, if you like. And the good enough survivor of extraordinary circumstances is what I'm talking about. Permits survivors to be imperfect, fallible human beings to be good enough. The desired outcome from this research is that the good enough survivor will have learned how to regulate energy and behavior and not be overwhelmed by natural impulses, the unconscious stuff that comes at us, reserving energy for when and where it is needed most. The good enough survivor will be prepared to survive the immediate impact of a collective trauma and then to grieve the loss of the old normality while adapting to the new evolving normality. That's brilliant that you can summarise it like that. Thank you so much. So it can be done. (laughs) That idea that we don't have to be perfect, that is so important, I think, and needs to get out there into, into the world. I know personally that that idea, your good enough survivor idea has been already personally of help to me in in coping and I still use it. It's very permission giving. It is to say oh that's okay it's good enough I've done what I can it's not going to be perfect and that's fine. So where where do you see that it's relevant? Well I want to start by saying that uh, telling people to prepare sounds a bit too late when we're in the middle of a crisis. However Preparing to be a good enough survival is valuable at any time. Life is full of those ups and downs that we need to be psychologically prepared for. So being psychologically prepared for me is advantageous. I think so many people are using the words get back to normal or normal life. That's not how we normally do things. When normality comes back, we seem to put a lot of energy into that. So what from your research and from all the people that you spoke with... Have you got any insight into that struggle to find normal or a new normal? Everyone, 100% of the people I interviewed wanted to return to normality in some way. So that said to me, I needed to look at what is normality. And of course, philosophically, there's no such thing. And so what I started to look at was we're trying to go back to something that doesn't exist. And you're seeing and hearing that every day in the COVID, I think. Actually, we grieve every time there's a change. I thought this has to be tied up with my well-being. If I want to go back to something and I don't even know what it would look like, what was happening was people were wasting their energy, burning energy that you already have depleted to recreate something that wasn't, they weren't able to recreate. How do people know that they're grieving the loss of normality and what can they do to grieve? People don't necessarily know, A, that they are grieving or B, that they need to grieve. And so what I suggest is that everyone will, because we're all human beings who will react and grieve what we didn't have. And so it's something about loss. And so we've lost what was. Might be a good thing that we lost what was, you know, but we still may grieve it. This is a process that all human beings will go through in their own way, knowing that there is a grief process and it is a natural human response to this. But what I was trying to give the message of is 
let go. Don't waste your energy in trying to recreate normality as it was, the old known normal, because things have changed. You've changed. So allow yourself to grieve. Going through this process and getting to a sense of a new evolving normal. And the bit that I change in the new normal is it's evolving. I like that a lot. That When I read your research as well, that moving from the known normality to an evolving normality. Many organizations are talking about being agile anyway. Agility is a 21st century competence. Evolving normality is about being agile. And I think that can be really helpful for leaders who are already familiar with these ideas of being agile. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I know in your work, you offer your own practical guidance for preparing for for crises. And one of the models you offer is is the acronym PERMA, P-E-R-M-A, and it's based on the the work of Martin Seligman. Just take us through PERMA. What does it stand for and how do you use it? PERMA stands for positive emotions, feelings and attitudes. E is for engagement, being in the flow, doing something and being completely engaged with it, not noticing the passing of time, for example. R is for relationships, being and staying connected. And M is for meaning and purpose, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And finally, A is for accomplishment, what you can achieve, what you can attain. So, And I propose that clarifying what constitutes psychological well-being to be a good enough survivor would go some way towards providing a sense of order and control. I felt to be able to count on one hand, just as an example, one hand, the core elements of what we need to be focused upon to maintain our psychological well-being would be an incredibly powerful tool for a good enough survivor to have in their repertoire. I know there are other things in your PhD that are also really helpful. But if somebody's listening to this, how can they use PERMA? What would be the what would be the best starting point? Well, I'd start by going to the website. It's called PERMA H now. They've added health onto the end of this. PERMA H survey, all one word, dot com. And if you go to this website, it's free, online, easy to do. So this is a simple, understandable tool for gauging that psychological well-being. And I've I've suggested PERMA because I think it's the best tool that I've seen. I'm guessing that probably not a lot of people, at least in Europe, would know about it. Maybe, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, 
you certainly introduced me to it. And I like that idea of doing it at regular intervals. It's a bit like weighing yourself almost, isn't it? You know, it's getting data. Uh, you know, so it, this is data about your psychological well-being or psychological wellness. I spoke with somebody last week whose company is at the leading edge of a competitive technology. And there is real intense competition to get this technology, to get it out before the com competitors. And so this person and her team are working so, so hard. So in your work, what, what guidance would you give people in that sort of situation who aren't working for a company that is going to be taking care of their well-being and is going to push them until they get that very last drop out of them in order so that the company itself can stay in business? I think the best way I can answer that is to, because it's so complex, is to actually talk about the good enough survivor. And I think this in that situation is a great you know, sort of word for it. Remember, my work is about preparation. What I did was, what I thought would be helpful, was I identified what would be the characteristics for a good enough survivor as an organization and as a employee. Habits is important. There's a lot of great books out there right now dictating, if you like, that habits are <laughs> useful. But they are, because when trauma happens, our short-term memory is shot so if they're a habit, they're coming up from our unconscious. So one, habits, two, self-awareness, what drives you, what motivates you. And then you can change that into what's motivating and driving other people. Three, adapts to an evolving new normal. You know, lets go of the old, grieves it, recognizes you need to grieve it. Don't just think I should let it go. Understand their psychological well-being. So get the survey done or however else you might, you know, there'd be better things out there as the years go by. And the other is rec uh, recognizes the importance of relationships. And I want to build on that by saying that when we talk about relationships, if I take that into the organizational setting, one of the big things that was found was we should have made these connections previously. First of all, really helpful to re remember that preparation is key. Yes. <laughs> so when you're in it, you're in it. So I was wondering if it's, if it's possible to have mini preparations, so sort of to be able to take a breath in which you psychologically prepare for what's coming next. So it's sort of in short cycles so when I think of preparation, I think, oh, there's the before, there's the crisis, and then there's the after. But as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, well, maybe there's like mini cycles. In I which love the idea. We've been through wave one, right, take a breath because second wave is coming. Take a breath because after that there will be climate crisis. So how do we sort of prepare in short cycles, I suppose? And one of the things that I did, because, of course, I continue to work in this and people need that, is as part of the research I did, I came up with the four A's. And the four A's could be that digestible chunk, if you like, that you're talking about. So one is assessment. So the organizations could do brainstorming, share stories. Storytelling is fabulous in this. And the ripple effects, you know, people talking about not just what's happened, but how that has affected the world around them. So assessment, two, awareness, build that self-awareness, the PERMA, the six foci of personality was the actual model I was using. You know, there's a, a, a whole host of other things. So assessment, awareness, action. 
So, okay, what are the habits that I've actually put in place that, you know, so, and now I'm not so overwhelmed. I know how to communicate. I know how to network. I know how to problem solve. All those different things of decision making, all those things that get hit when we're under pressure. And the fourth one, adaptation. So um, exploring the impact and knowledge of things like the grief cycle and adapting and accepting that there will be a new knowledge. So those four things I think could actually fit quite nicely in what that what I'm referring to as a digestible chunk you mentioned. Yeah, so if we imagine the person that I was just talking about earlier, then if they get chance to take a breath, be it a weekend or a holiday or just a time to sit and think, then they could be quickly assessing, in, improving their awareness, deciding on what action they're going to take and adapting and yeah. doing that with their team as well. And that doesn't have to be a big thing that they do, but it could be quite a quick cycle to then be able to move on to the next wave, as it were. And it has language. What I liked was in those moments, you don't have time to sit down and chat. People don't have the space to do it. Um, COVID, you know, yes, we might have the space. We're working from home, but people are doing back-to-back -back Zooms. And you know, so, so there's no time for that reflection. And I think that, you know, sort of is a fabulous idea. Love it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and one of the things that, that I remember at the beginning of the crisis when I was doing some coaching is that people were just so happy to know that they weren't on their own as well, yes. that they're not alone, that other people were going through, other leaders, other teams are experiencing the same or similar yes. situations. So I think, again, having those habits, the, it's the awareness one that I wanted to pick up on there because becoming aware of what's going on around you as well as your own self-awareness I think can really help with identifying actions and adapting. I absolutely well. agree I think the more more we can bring the unconscious into consciousness whether it's organizationally or community-wise or or individually I think that that to me was a big finding we often don't um, allow ourselves to reflect and and compare and you know sort of decide on okay yeah I could pinch that idea you know it's not plagiarism it's actually just makes sense you know you don't need to reinvent the wheel and that that fits so so nicely with good enough survivor as well yeah. doesn't it that it's good enough you don't need to reinvent or you know create something new but learning from other people Picking up on other people's ideas is just what we need right now, and it's good enough. So, Mandy, I know there's so much I could carry on talking with you about here. <laughs> I feel like we're only just skimming the surface and getting started. So, in every podcast, I'm asking each guest, in, in light of the conversation that we've just had, where do we go from here? Nice question. Um, hmm. I'm still reflecting on your idea of we could, uh, because I'm so, I've worked so much in the preparation, um, thinking that we need to put those foundations down prior to, and then we're in the middle of this. I like that idea of taking a breath, you know, sort of, so these breathing spaces, make a space to breathe and review. Where do we go from here? Up would be my one-liner. <laughs> I'm an eternal optimist. I think we have a fantastic opportunity to learn, you know, a lot about us as human beings and how we can sort of aid each other and work together. That's great, Mandy. 
Thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, thank you for your invitation. It's been wonderful. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? I'm Stephanie Parry, and if you want to find out more about my work, please go to www.stephanie-parry.com. This podcast has been produced by Hattie Moyer at storyhunter.co.uk. And if you've got this far, you'd probably like to know that the music was written by Jean-Pierre Cloarec, my husband, and interpreted by my stepdaughter, Julie Cloarec. Thank you. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.